You guys sound good. It's small wonder why one of the reasons we need to build a new facility is our worship team here. They're just amazing. Great job, you guys. I know you want to clap for them. Well, go ahead. Um, speaking of new buildings, by the way, if you're new to New Hope, we are building a new facility and uh, hope to start that in the, in the upcoming year. If you're interested, you can give towards that. That would be wonderful. You're our guest here. We don't want you to feel obligated to do, do that, but there's offering boxes around here in the facility, and you can drop a gift in towards that and uh, indicate that you want it to go towards the building fund. That'd be awesome. We really want to get that thing built. I'd love to. Michael would like to have a, a full orchestra up here someday, that, and there's no room for that, so we have to give him a bigger place, but um, God's on the move, and we're, we're really grateful that you're here. Welcome, if you're online watching, by the way, really glad, and I, I know some individuals who are recovering from surgery, and individuals who are shut in in, in in hospitals, and they just can't get here, so I'm really grateful that we're able to stream the message for them, and that you all can be here and be part of what God's doing among us. I want to take you into John in just a minute, and I know it's too dark for you to see your own Bibles if you had some with you, or maybe it's on your phone, you can follow along that way, but the verses will be up on the screen, and uh, we'll look at what this means for the, the statement that Jesus made to say that we're the light. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and then we'll go into that real quickly. Father, I thank you for these who have gathered, and for those who are watching online right now. And our ability to praise and celebrate you in this moment in time is not going unnoticed by us, but rather we're just filled with joy. And we, we pray, Father, that it's not just the result of being here, but rather because of the work that you're doing in our life. But we do ask that you would take your word and illuminate our minds and cause us to be drawn closer to you as a result of it. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, as we've been walking through the book of John, we've done it very deliberately in the last couple weeks because John describes the arrival of God in ways that very few captured in the Bible. God's arrival on the planet happens in a way no one would have imagined, and no one could possibly write a story like this out of their own thought life. It has to be inspired from God. God's presence is always denounced by an explosion of brilliant light both as we see in the Christmas story through the angels and through the star, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. So we find in the midst of the Christmas story the almighty God coming as a baby in a bed of straw, making baby noises and having to be fed like any other baby. And God says there's absolutely no deception in this. As incredible as it sounds, I can't lie. God says he can't lie. And so, therefore, he only speaks truth. If you believe God speaks truth, say amen. amen. God only speaks truth. So he's not going to deceive you. No matter your history with humans on this planet, God will not betray you. So he said he comes to this planet and he puts on skin, yet he's still fully God. And we're told, according to the Bible, he's full of grace and he's full of truth. And it's woven together intimately into one person, and we know his name as Jesus. And that same one walks the streets of the Middle East. As an adult man, he says to us very clearly in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Bible is really clear. If you're not familiar with that passage, it's saying that Jesus is the exclusive source of truth. Truth is found solely in him. That's why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So that means I really need to understand his statement when he says, whoever follows me, they're going to walk in the light and not in darkness. And I'm asking you to think right now, is this me? Am I one who follows Jesus? Am I identified by that? As you read the Bible, you find that God's presence is always associated with a brilliant light, unlike anything that we could produce here on this planet. Moses on Mount Sinai describes the appearance of God with flashes of lightning. He said, it's like that, but I can't quite get my mind around it. You find the exact same thing with Isaiah in chapter 6 before the throne room of God, describing what he's viewing before his eyes, and he can barely understand it. Daniel talks about it on the Tigris River. When Jesus apparently appears before him and it was so blinding, it drove Daniel right to his knees. You go into the New Testament and you find Paul knocked off his horse because of the brilliance of the blinding light when God appears on the scene. James, John, and Peter go up the Mount of Transfiguration and they're overwhelmed and again driven to their knees because of the brilliance of the light surrounding God when Jesus is transfigured on a mountain. This all matches with the book of Revelation. In Revelation, John writes... When he sees Jesus face to face, he's brighter than the noonday sun. If you've looked at the sun, you know exactly what John's describing. It's so bright, he has to shield his eyes and turn away. And it makes total sense because God's Word says he dwells in unapproachable light. Look with me on the screen. 1 Timothy 6.16, kings of kings and lord of lords, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. Most come to this event, to a Christmas Eve service, because of tradition. Yet, I'm guessing secretly inside, if we were to do a face-to-face conversation, you would trust confidence in me and I would trust confidence in you that the real reason we come is because we want an encounter with God. We would like to approach Him in some way. Yet, perhaps when you read a verse like that, you would say, see, I knew He's unapproachable. I can't get near him. Well, that's not what that verse is saying. So you want to be really, really clear to understand what it means when God says he comes to you and you can come to him. You need to know that the God of wonders does reveal himself. And he does desire for us to know him. And he wants to accomplish extraordinary things in your life, both here on this planet and in eternity, as you're going to see in just a moment. It's very clear that God's actions in coming to us demonstrate that he absolutely wants you to know him, and he's very deliberate about his actions. If you believe that God wants you to know him tonight, say amen. At least there's a few believers in the house. Good. Glad to hear that. You make my work a little easier. Follow this thought, and you're going to see very quickly in four aspects how God has come to you and how he reveals himself. And in turn, that means he wants to draw you deeper into him. The the very first aspect is this, the God who dwells in light as we just read about. He uses light in the vast expanse of the midnight sky in the Middle East to point the way to him. According to the Christmas story, the wise men found God because of his light. Now, if you've ever been curious about that light and what that star was, hang with me for just a minute. Look with me on the screen at this particular verse, Matthew 2.2. We saw his star. They didn't say we saw the star. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And the basic rules of biblical interpretation say that you should take the normal sense of a word when you come to any word in the Bible unless 
There's something that's obviously different, something that's compelling that causes you to think, I'm not sure that that's what that really is. Well, clearly in this case, there is something not normal here. This this shining light is brighter than normal. It's visible in the daytime and it's visible, of course, at night. And it appears and it disappears when the wise men leave the palace of Herod. It turns on again. Apparently, it has the ability to turn on and turn off. And this star is mobile and it's directional. Stars that we know in the constellation are not that way. This one moves north to south and it guides them east to west, leading the Magi to the precise location saying it went ahead of them and then it stopped. So it's mobile. All evidence tells us this is not normal. Yeah, it's unexplained by science, and if if you try and Google it tonight, the Star of Bethlehem, you'll find a lot of theories because it's written in a historical document. People have tried for eons to explain it as maybe a comet, maybe an alignment of the planets. I don't think that's what's going on here. I'll tell you what I think is going on. It's unexplained by science because it's supernatural. I believe it's very probable you're looking at a manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory, meaning the dwelling of God. The word Shekinah in the Hebrew language means the presence of the Lord, the visible presence of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, you find the pillar of fire guiding the Israelites by night and a pillar of cloud guiding them by day, and it's called the Shekinah glory. See, God's glory, it always leads people to Him. It's putting God on display, and in the New Testament, you find it with Jesus every time he's surrounded by this brilliant light. It's putting God on display. So there's no surprise here that a light signals the arrival of God the Son. That's the first aspect. Here's the second one. God enters our world, and we find in John 1.14 this strange statement, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John's clarifying for us that eternity has entered time. The invisible has uncloaked himself, and he dresses in skin, and he takes on what we understand literally to be a biological body. And Colossians backs that up when it says, in him, all of God dwelt, all of deity dwelt in bodily form. And remember, we're talking about the God who cannot lie. See, there's a really strong implication here when God makes that statement. That he actually became flesh means he's walked where you are walking tonight. Whatever you brought in the door with you, whatever issues are going on in your life, Jesus has been there, he understands it, he knows your struggles. But in verse 14, we're also told that he dwelt among us. And we talked about this two weeks ago here as a church family. When we looked at this particular passage, we understand this is a camping phrase. Dwelt means he set up a tent among us. And if you've ever gone camping with someone, you understand it's really intimate. If you've spent time in a tent with somebody other than your family members, you understand it's raw, it's very real. So Scripture says God pitched His tent among us, but it also says in verse 14, He's full of grace and He's full of truth. So drink this in. Jesus is the full expression of God's grace. He's the full expression of God's truth. Drink that in. It's who He is. Now we started a moment ago with this reminder that God only speaks truth. Well, truth comes along and he says, I'm so abundant in grace, you will never exhaust me. Even when you think you've wore me out and you've come to me too many times confessing your sin and you think, I can't go to God one more time with that issue, God says, you're not going to exhaust me. You're not going to wear me out. 
I'm full of grace. Soak it in. Just drink it in. It's who I am. And that same one comes along as truth, and he says, you can completely trust me in everything. There's no way I will deceive you. I will not betray you. And that one declares in John 8 that he is the light of the world. That brings us to the third aspect. We discover that he allows you and I, and I mean that by a privilege. It's a privilege to be the light for God. And he says, you are going to be the light. So watch this, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Is that true of you tonight? Do you have the light of life in you? God's talking about function here, a function of believers, something that you do deliberately. He's he's taking this function to the next level when he talks about this being a result of you believing in him, you're following him, following Jesus. Because we have the light of life, we're told by Jesus himself, Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. So he says, I'm the light. Then he says, you are the light. And Jesus is stating a fact here. He's not giving a command. Light represents who Christians are. So Jesus is reducing the function to one single word. The word is influence. You have amazing influence as the light for better or worse. Depending on the degree of the light in your life, your function as light affects how other people see God. People look at you because they identify you as a believer if you're a believer in Jesus. So your life in Jesus has profound purpose. Now here's where the complications come along. When we allow ourselves to let that light be dimmed by our daily choices, his light is based on the power of the things that we choose to obscure it because God says it's there. How much are you letting it shine? So are you known by your friends as a giver or a gossiper? As someone who speaks truth in love? Or maybe you're known by someone who has biting anger in your tongue. How do people identify you? Because Jesus said you are the light. Because we believe, we understand he changed believers. We're no longer darkness. So Ephesians 5.8 says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So when Jesus says, let your light shine, that's meaning let the beauty of what Jesus has done in you shine out there. It's not something that we can create. It's God working through us allowing us to put him on display. So the purpose of shining is not to bring glory to us, but rather to God. And that takes us to the fourth and last aspect. Let me touch on the first three you've seen so far. In the very first one, we saw that God dwells in light. In him, there's absolutely no darkness. And then that light enters our world, and the word became flesh, and he said, I am the light. And then he allows us the privilege to be the light. He gives us the privilege, the honor. And he says, you are the light. And here's the fourth and final aspect. And I think you're going to find this one probably the most fascinating because many of you are church people and you're thinking, I know a lot of this stuff. This is a great reminder for you based on what you're going to do in 2018. They'll remember this, this promise that's coming from God. Here's the final outcome of God coming to you. It comes from Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, and also from Jesus. Daniel 12 says this, Here's the result of deciding to follow him. Those who have insight 
will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And you should stop and say, that's astonishing. Because he's talking about a literal shining here, a shining brightly, and he's talking about something future. I'm taking this verse literally because it's talking about something in eternity. That in eternity, you will reflect the Shekinah glory as an eternal light of God. Here's the image. The image is of a magnificent, thick, black, dark sky littered with the brilliance of stars shining here. And there's no comparison that could be more outstanding See, Jesus captures this same thought in Matthew, and we'll bring it from the Old Testament to the New Testament by watching him say this. The righteous will, this is future, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now, notice Jesus is not saying you're going to become a star. God's not going to make you into a planet, okay? We good with that? Jesus is saying you're absolutely in your appearance going to be brilliant, So the righteous will radiate like a beautiful star resembling the constellations in the night sky. See, it's that statement that Jesus used here, this word shining, that really caused me to stop back in September. Staff and I were talking about what are we going to do at Christmas this year? I began prepping back at that time, and I got stuck on that word shining because it's reminding me that you and I, we're like ornaments. We're eternal ornaments in giving glory to God of His grace, ornaments of His grace, both here on earth and in eternity. So you see ornaments all over the platform up here. We've used it on our literature that we've mailed out. Maybe you've seen it on the billboards on Saginaw Highway, reminding us that's exactly what we are. Where do you get that from? That's what you're thinking right now. Where do you get that from, Mark? Let me take you on the screen. Ephesians 2.6. God raised us up with him, present tense and future tense, watch, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God speaks in his economy as though it's already happened because the reality is that if you're a believer in Jesus tonight, you're as good as already there. Nothing can change that. But watch future tense here so that in the ages to come, future He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Showing forth something, putting on a demonstration, putting things on display. Now, you do that. At your homes, you probably have plaques on the wall. Most likely, you have diplomas, maybe in your offices, or you have trophies sitting on a mantle someplace. All of us have, most likely, Christmas trees. I'm guessing Hallmark made some money off you with you buying ornaments at some point, and there's ornaments on your Christmas tree. Why do we do that? We do that to remember. We put things up to remember. There was a huge sum paid for that thing. Whatever accomplishment that was in your life when you received a trophy or a diploma and you wanted to remember what that cost you. As a nation, we do that. You go to Arlington and the National Cemetery, and you'll find the tomb of the unknown soldier where there is an eternal flame that's lit. Doing what? Reminding. There was a huge price that was paid. So picture God doing this with you, eternally holding you out as a precious, shining treasure, precious to him as an activity of his grace in your life. God presenting you as a living ornament an ornament of grace. 
what the Bible actually calls a vessel of his glory or a vessel of his mercy. God putting you on display for all of his creation to see, saying, I did that. I redeemed that one at great price, and it cost me a huge sum. So go back with me to these four aspects as we land this plane. Look at this very, very quickly. God dwells in light, and in him there is absolutely no darkness whatsoever. And then that light enters our world, and we're told the word became flesh, and he said, I am the light. And finally, we find number three, that he allows you and I the privilege of being that light, and he calls us the light of the world. And we get this amazing promise from God who cannot lie. And he says, you're going to be dazzling in your appearance one day. You will absolutely be an ornament of my grace. You will be an ornament of my mercy. And we're told by Jesus himself, the righteous will shine forth as the sun. Maybe as you're hearing this tonight, you're thinking, well, who's this for? Who does this apply to? Look very closely at those two verses that we just examined in Daniel and Matthew. Daniel 12, those who have insight will shine brightly. Jesus himself saying, the righteous will shine forth, the wise and the righteous. Now, that's some pretty distinctive language. That obviously sounds like a very specific group. Daniel 12, he's talking about those who are wise enough to know the reality of their condition. Wise enough to know your situation. Wise enough to know yourself. Do you know yourself tonight? Do you know the reality of your condition? Do you recognize the truth of your situation? Now, Jesus gets even more specific, and I want you to see this particular word. Now, at New Hope, we're known for Greek words, and I know it's Christmas Eve, but suck it up. Here's one word, okay? <laughs> Dikaios, and it's talking about somebody who is innocent, who's holy, and you're reading that right now and thinking, that's not me. I'm not innocent, and I sure don't feel holy. Now, you put those two together, and you have to ask yourself, am, am I one who knows myself that well that I'm wise like Daniel's talking about? Do I recognize my own incapacity to save myself? Do I know my own weakness? Because the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here, it's lacking in all of humanity. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? We do, according to Scripture. So you know what this requires of you? If you're looking at this and you're saying, that's, that's a reality. I've got sin in my life and maybe even secret sins that nobody knows about. It requires of you a humbling. And God says that's actually the first step in becoming a believer. That acknowledging you're a sinner in need of a Savior is actually the first step. Because Daniel says the wise are drawn to Jesus meaning wise enough to know that they're messed up and they need Jesus. But on the opposite side, that means if I'm not following Jesus, I'm in a really dangerous place because I'm still in darkness. So Daniel says these will shine. Jesus says they're going to shine forth. So according to what I understand from the Bible, in eternity, you're not only going to be filled with perfect knowledge and perfect understanding and the absence of sin, but you're also going to match that with a perfect physical body in which God is going to allow you to radiate brilliantly, brighter than the noonday sun, beyond anything that you can imagine, a body like that of the resurrected Jesus. Will that not be awesome? How good is God to do that for those who were at one time in darkness? Yet he transferred us to the kingdom of light. Now, logically, somebody's going to be asking throughout the course of this evening, how in the world can I become righteous? 
I'm messed up. I'm screwed up. You don't even know what I did yesterday, Mark. You don't know how bad I was a month ago or a year ago, and the things that I've done have disqualified me. So potentially you're thinking right now, I'm not good enough. Hear me on this. If that's what you're thinking right now, if you think you're not good enough, you're right. You're not. The reality of the scripture is, praise God, Jesus is. See, it's not about your goodness. It's about his goodness. It's about his righteousness. The truth of the Bible is you meet Jesus right where you're at. You don't wait until you're better. You don't wait until you're good enough. You'll never be good enough. See, God already knows everything about you. He knows about the betrayal. He knows about the addiction. He knows about the breakup. He knows about all the ways that you fall short. He knows everything. That's why he's God. But it's not about your goodness. It's about his righteousness. So the first step in becoming a follower that Jesus is talking about is what you can do right now. I'm I'm not even going to tell you you've got to do this. I'm just saying you can do this if you feel the Holy Spirit moving on you right now. Go to the Father and say, God, I know that, that Mark's talking about me. You can say it in a simple word. That's me. He'll hear you. God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. You find the confessions of Jesus in the Bible to be the most simple things. A jailer in Philippi says to Peter, what do I have to do to be saved? Peter's response is very simple. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody came to me after the last service and said, what does that mean for Moses and Daniel and for all those people who lived before Jesus was ever born? How could they believe in him if he hadn't been born? But the Bible tells us they were looking forward to a time that they could not see. Hebrews chapter 11, read about that later tonight yourself if you take one of the Bibles with you when you go. It it talks about the fact that they had faith in God who would put a Messiah in front of them. So you just have to believe that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and God's going to know where you're going with that. I'm encouraging you to respond that way. It's the first step in becoming a follower. And just in case you think you're sitting among super saints here tonight... We all recognize that we all need Jesus. Amen? See, this is an auditorium of people who have been made righteous because of Jesus, not because we're perfect. So God is only speaking truth. And when he speaks truth, he says he's this. He's the one who takes sinners and makes them into saints. So if you're thinking you're not righteous, you can be. I'm just encouraging you to respond that way, telling God, this is what I need. I need Jesus. I know he died for me. If you don't own a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to take one when you go out the door tonight. There's free Bibles in the back and out in the atrium, and some are wrapped and some are not wrapped. But inside those Bibles is a note that I wrote to you, and it's just congratulating you on taking the next step. And if you want to know more, just read the letter. It'll it'll tell you what to do and what books in the Bible to read. Here's where I'd like to end with you. How awesome will it be the next time you get to look up at a clear sky on a silent night? Now, I don't know when that will be because we live in Michigan. (laughs) But there's a night coming when you're going to be able to see the stars. How awesome will that be when you get to look up at that night sky and be reminded by those stars? That's right. That's an emblem of God's grace. 
That's an emblem of God's mercy. Thank you, God, for putting those stars in the sky. You're reminding me of who I am destined to be one day. Thank you, God. That's why I think one of the reasons is that God said in the Bible, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these who have gathered tonight, my brothers and sisters in Christ and and those who are trying to understand this and make more sense of it. We've all come together to examine your word and maybe for tradition celebrate the origins of Christmas. But I believe, God, that you can speak in the midst of this, even through tradition. You can cause your word to come alive, and I believe that you've done that tonight. For individuals who are seeking to understand this and make more sense of it, Father, I pray specifically for them that you would draw very close and remind them what great lengths you went to to come to us. And you're simply asking us to respond. And you'll show us what to do next. I know that, Father. I know it's true in my own life. For the men and women who have gathered who are already believers, Father, I pray that these words that they've heard will be strengthening and encouraging, especially as we sing together now about this light on a silent night. God, take these words and turn them into praise and glory and honor for the name of the King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.